week on faith. So please give him a hand and welcome him. He's amazing. Thank you. Well, uh, this summer, God's been speaking to us as a church about faith, and you may have noticed that. You may not have, but he has been. And, you know, as various speakers have come through, they've shared their stories of faith. Scott and Stephanie went out from here in obedience to God a couple of years ago, planted a church in South Carolina. And some of us are really familiar with their story and just of how they followed God into an unknown situation. And we're beginning to see two years later just some some of the richness of what God is doing through through their obedience and their faith to follow follow what God has said. And last week we had an amazing story, a testimony of even just an extreme situation, just a, a really extreme situation, and a cry, a prayer that was prayed even without a real knowledge of who God is and how God um, answered that prayer and just the incredible things that can happen through just one prayer being prayed and just how God can answer and just the amazing things that happen as a result of that. And so this, this, um, this week and next, we're going to be continuing this theme of faith. And, you know, um, some people, like we've been hearing the last few weeks, have incredible testimonies of faith, incredible stories of faith. And um, you may not feel like you have an amazing testimony of faith or an amazing story of faith for you personally, and maybe you do, maybe God has done some things that are truly miraculous in your life, and that is, that is great, that it, you should praise God for his faithfulness and that he's done that in your life. For a lot of us, though, the, uh, the level of faith we feel like we need is just the level of faith to get out of bed at the right time every day, and to get to work on time, and to put in a good day's work, and to get home, and to, you know, take, take care of the yard, and you know, get everything done that we need to get done and, you know, hopefully hopefully not lose sanity along the way. You know, and, and, and you say, I would love to have faith that shapes the nation, that, you know, I can pray for somebody and see them get miraculously healed, that, you know, and you can list on all of these amazing things. But you say, really, God, what I need is just the faith to believe that as I start my day out today that you're going to be with me, that I'm going to have the ability and the strength to get through this day and that I'm going to be a, you know, and just list off all the rules that you have in life and just that I'm going to hit the mark in each of these areas. Does that seem familiar to anyone? Yeah. Just this idea of, you know, I just, I just need a certain measure of faith, and the measure I need is just to keep going right now. Well, it's important that you, um, as you listen to different stories, as, as, as speakers come through, that you pull from what they have in the, in the area that they're sharing in. So we've been hearing about um, this area of faith and what it is to follow God. And that's one area that we draw our strength. Another really important area we draw our strength is from Scripture. And so this, this week and next, we're actually going to spend in just one um, passage of, this, of the Bible, just one passage of Scripture. And for this Sunday and next, we're just going to, we're not even going to get into like, just the depths of it, but we're just going to get a sense of what God is saying about faith through this passage of Scripture. And um, this this passage is Hebrews 11, which I like to think of it as the Hall of Fame of faith. And so you're probably familiar with the Hall of Fame concept. I was just in Nashville this last week with work, and you know, no trip to Nashville is complete without a visit to the Country Music Hall of Fame. Has any, anyone else been there? Come on. We... Anybody? One person, that's good. There was at least one person in both services who's been there. So great. Oh, we have another hand. I see that hand. <laughs> well, anyway, 
it's great because what you have is you have this circular room and all around the walls are plaques to different people of what they've done for the music industry, for country music. And it's a, it has a little picture and then like a, just a little paragraph or two about what they've accomplished and what they've done. And Hebrews 11 is that room about faith because it's a snapshot of each individual hero of faith in the Old Testament, what they've done, what they've accomplished, and what we can learn from them. And so that's the journey that we're going to go on the next couple of weeks. But before we go there, it's important to understand a little background and to kind of set the scene up and to understand both, you know, this book of Hebrews, you know, what what is this book accomplishing? Who is it written to? But then also it's good to just look a little bit before Hebrews 11 to kind of get the get the run up to the chapter and to really get a launching pad into the chapter itself. And there's some things in the initial kind of getting into chapter 11 from chapter 10 that are important for us to grasp. And um, I mean, you may know this already, but, you know, when scripture was written, it wasn't written with um, chapter and verses added in. You know, it was just written. And then the chapter and verse divisions were added later so that we could find things so we would have a, re- a way to reference scripture. So sometimes when the chap- a new chapter starts, sometimes it's right in the right place it needs to be. It's at a, it's at a new natural stopping point, but sometimes it gets in the way and it breaks up the flow of thought. And so it's important as you read scripture to, you know, if say you're reading Hebrews 11, just to go back and read chapter 10, you know, and just to get a feel for, for why 11 follows from 10 and then to read into 12 to see where 11 leads after, you know, to see where it goes. And that's just a basic, that's just a good kind of basic principle as you're reading scripture. So, so Hebrews, you know, who's this book written to? Well, it's written to a group of believers, a group of Christians who either were Jewish in their background or Gentiles in their background, but really understood the Old Testament very well. Either way, this group of Christians really knew the Old Testament, very, very familiar with it. And, and Hebrews draws extensively with Old Testament imagery, Old Testament language, and really helps to show how Christ is the fulfillment of all of that. Christ is, is just the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament leads up to. And so it's, it's, an amazing, um, it's an amazing book uh, in the New Testament. But it's really not a book. It's a letter. And it was written to this group of believers. It wasn't written to one person in particular. It was written to this group of Christians who together were going through some circumstances that were incredibly difficult. This letter was probably written within two or three decades of um, Christ's being on the earth. And, um, and um, it was in the early, early days of the church. In the earliest days of the church, the big, the big dilemma they went through is, you know, we came from a Jewish background, but how much of that Jewish background do we now get rid of? Or do we now abandon because we're, we've come into Christian faith? You know, do we still need to sacrifice to animals? You know, do we still need to consider some things as clean and unclean? And there was a lot that had to be worked out. And believe me, you're glad that they worked it out because otherwise your lifestyle would look a little different. <laughs> so, um, so basically, he's writing, the writer here, which traditionally has been seen as Paul, but you know, it doesn't actually say anywhere, but um, he's really trying to get them to come to a place of persevering faith. And that's really what um, the tail end of chapter 10 and going into 11 is all about, is persevering faith. So what kind of situation did these people find themselves in? Well, they had uh, come to faith from this, this deep understanding of the Old Testament. And uh, when they were converted, they experienced signs and wonders. Yeah, right. They experienced gifts of the Spirit and the miraculous. 
and um, and that you could say is the positive of what they experienced. The negative was that their social situation totally changed from the moment they became Christians, and they began to really experience some hardship and persecution. And uh, they even had property confiscated. They were publicly abused and shamed. But their response was to accept all of this joyfully and to sympathize with the people they knew who had been put into prison. So that's the immediate context of Hebrews 11, is a group of people who've gone, who made this decision to follow Christ together as a group, and they've experienced great hardship as a group and experienced great suffering. And they're beginning to be in a place where the promises of God seem very distant and the promises of God seem very dim. And some of us can find ourselves in that place too, where we had an initial passion and a fire for following God and everything seemed easy. And there were promises, rich, deep promises that God gave us in those times. And we feel like there is no doubt in my mind that God will accomplish those things. Well, as time goes on, maybe you see that things aren't happening as quickly as you'd like. And you think, wow, that promise of God burned really bright for a while, but now it's really dim. And, you know, and that flame is about to go out, and I'm not sure if I can believe in that promise anymore. I'm not sure if that's really true. Did I even hear God the first time? And so that's where this group of people find themselves. And so if you can relate to this group of people, then this is for you. And even if you can't today, your time will probably come, <laughs> to be honest. And, um, and this is a good passage to kind of put you know, put in reserve and to have, you know, for when you need it, because the whole point of this is that we build up this deep well within us of revelation and of knowledge of scripture so that when we need it and we need, we need our faith and courage and built up, we know where to go. And so let's jump into the very end of Hebrews 10 and just um, do a little bit more setup before we jump into chapter 11. So Hebrews 10, starting at verse 32, I'm reading from the NIV. Remember those earlier days, this is addressed to the group of believers, after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. They may have even been in the gladiatorial um, fight. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Okay, so this really explains their situation and explains the hardship that they're in. They're in a tough place. They're doubting the promises of God. So from verse 35, this is the encouragement in response to their situation. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, and here we open um, a quotation from the Old Testament. He who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. If he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. And the quote ends. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Okay, so let's just pause for a moment and just consider this section, because it's really important as we go into chapter 11. So it starts, do not throw away your confidence, it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Okay, that verse 36 right there is actually the key for all of what we're talking about in the next two weeks. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Okay, there's three things there. We're to persevere to do the will of God and to receive what he has promised. And the rest of what follows is all an example of how to do that. It's an example of people who've done that in the past, and they're to serve as an encouragement to this group of people, but also to us, of how to move forward and to press into those things that we believe God has promised and the things that we apprehend by faith. 
So verse uh, 37 and 38, I mentioned are a quotation from the Old Testament. They're actually from the book of um, Habakkuk, as I say it. Some people say it Habakkuk. Yeah, but that's where we're going to be. So we're going to talk. We're going to listen from this to this guy for a minute. So you may know what his situation was. He's an Old Testament prophet, and he lived at the same time as Jeremiah. And they witnessed probably what was the most traumatic thing to have ever happened to the Jewish people which was the destruction, the final destruction and being brought into captivity of the kingdom of Judah. And um, you may remember the 12 tribes of Israel had conquered the um, promised land and they split into two. They split into 10 tribes, became Israel, and two tribes became Judah. And Israel had long since um, ceased to exist. It had gone into captivity and Judah remained. And um, Judah, it was a long kind of period of destruction and kind of one bad thing to another. And that's, and then it finally came to an end. And um, Habakkuk wrote in those very final days, and his, I mean, it was a really, really tough situation. So as tough as these guys had it in Hebrews, um, Habakkuk probably had it worse. And it was, I mean, just the end. I mean, there was no worse fate that he could imagine. And it was all happening in his day. The book of Habakkuk, if you need a really good example of what it is to, um, to pray, to hear from God, to pray again, to hear from God, and then come to a new place in your faith, Habakkuk is laid out exactly like that. It starts with him saying, God, why is everything so bad? And God responds. And then he says, okay, but, and Habakkuk lays out some more things, some issues that he has. God responds. And then the very end of Habakkuk is, is him coming to this new place of faith and worship and trust in God. So if you need an example of that in scripture to kind of provide you a reference, then that's a really good place to do it. And so basically, um, it's this whole idea of dialogue. And Habakkuk comes to a place, ultimately, where he provides one of the greatest statements on faith in the whole of the Old Testament. And um, it's found in Habakkuk 3.17. It says, Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. So what he's saying here is if absolutely everything I turn my hand to fails, if absolutely nothing works that I try to accomplish, if there's literally no food, if there's no prosperity, if there's absolutely nothing, I will still trust in God and be joyful. So it's actually a very, very clever thing that the writer of Hebrews does. Because this group of Hebrews would have known that book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was known as the example of being in this terrible place and wrestling through by dialoguing with God and getting to a new place of faith. And this group of people would have known that. They would, as soon as they saw that quote, they would have been like, oh yeah, that's Habakkuk. He went through this terrible situation and came to a new place of faith. They would have known exactly what the writer was doing as he went into Hebrews 11. And so that's the background as we start in to Hebrews 11 itself. And it begins with a famous statement that we, that we know. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. See, what he said is you're in a really tough place and you need faith that perseveres in order to keep going. And he uses the example of Habakkuk, and then he sums it up with that statement. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Well, who are the ancients that um, verse 2 here of chapter 11 talks about? Well, we're about to find out. They're the Hall of Fame, you know, faith Hall of Fame people that we're about to read about. But before we get to the first person who is able he actually pauses for a moment to talk about us 
Because in verse 3 he says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So he's saying, look, this whole discussion of faith, you might feel like you're really lacking in faith. You don't have faith that's really persevering. But he's like, look, we can all agree together. We kind of have this bottom line faith that we believe that God has created everything by his command. And that it came, everything that is visible came from what is invisible. So what that's saying is, is in creation, God has created everything by his command, by his word. And the, the kind of theological term behind this is creation ex nihilo, which is Latin for from nothing. But it carries with it the sense of there was nothing. There was only, it was only God himself. And he created everything by his word from nothing. It wasn't like there was a substance. It wasn't like there was some other thing that was just there with God. And God shaped it. There was nothing except God. And God made it be. And so he's like, together we agree on this. We agree that God has made everything. That is a measure of faith. And if you believe that, you have faith. He's saying, from this foundation of faith, let's then consider how we can grow in our faith by looking at these other people through the Old Testament, these heroes of faith. And he starts with Abel. And you may know the story of Abel. He was um, born of Adam and Eve. He was the younger brother of Cain. And, um, you know, that story is was famous for being the first murder in Scripture where, um, where Cain killed, killed Abel. But um, before he died, Abel gave us an incredible story, a picture of faith. And so... Um, let's just read that from, from Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commanded as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. See, I always thought that God just liked animal sacrifice better than like crops and things like that. Which really isn't true. You see that in the Old Testament, in the law, God actually requires both. So there's animal sacrifice, but then there's also like grain offerings, and they're supposed to wave grain in front of God to show that they're giving sacrifice. The point of what Abel demonstrates to us is that Abel gave the first fruits. He gave the first and the best to God. See, the idea is that Abel really put a lot of thought into what he offered to God. He took what was the richest, he took what was the best, and he gave it as a sacrifice. And it cost him to do that. It cost him because he was giving what was the most valuable thing that he had. He gave it as an offering to God. The, the idea uh, in Genesis is that, is that Cain really just looked around and said, oh, I'll take some of these and some of these. And just went and kind of casually offered them to God. And the idea is that Cain didn't really put thought into this. He just took something that kind of represented what he did. It wasn't really that sacrificial. And it certainly wasn't the best. And it wasn't the first. So imagine that you've raised flocks. Imagine that you've raised, you know, grain or you've raised some fruit. And the very first of the harvest you get, you intentionally give it to God and you thank him for it. Well, that was what Abel did. But it wasn't what Cain did. Cain at some point along the way said, oh, yeah, I should probably give some of this back to God. And so Abel still speaks to us because this is the first time in scripture that we have the idea of giving the first that you have and giving the best that you have to God. And we still value that and we still live in the reality of that. And um, the idea is that Abel trusted that even though he gave the first and the best, that he would be okay. You know? That even though it was a sacrifice, really it wasn't a sacrifice at all, because there would be blessing. 
there will be blessing and he would know the pleasure of God. So that's the first lesson. The second person is Enoch. And really we know about as much from Hebrews 11 about Enoch as we do from Genesis. And uh, let's read what, we, what, it, what it says. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Okay, so Enoch is... There's not much that's said about Enoch, but there's a lot as well, because somehow or other, he had such a close relationship with God that at some point it was like, you know, he's so close to God. You know, I heard somebody describe it. Is it I don't even know who it is. But basically it was God and Enoch are out walking one day and God says to Enoch, you know, we're closer to my house than yours, so let's just go back to my house. <laughs> you know? And it's just this incredible story of somehow he had such a relationship with God that it pleased God so deeply. And, you know, Enoch is in, this, is in rare company in terms of dying an unconventional death, although he, I guess he didn't really die. So he's in this rare kind of echelon in the Old Testament of people who met an unconventional end. And um, the other two people would be Moses, who God said, okay, you're at the end of your life. Say your goodbyes, which Deuteronomy is basically Moses saying a long goodbye. And says... Um, he says, I'm going to go. He's like, if you walk up this mountain, he's like, I will bury you. And, and that's what we have recorded is Moses walks to the top of the mountain and God buries him, whatever that looked like. Imagine if God officiated at your funeral. That would be amazing. You know, I just don't even I didn't even know what that looked like. And then Elijah is the other person who at the end of his ministry, you know, God said, hand it off to Elisha. And uh, the chariot came from heaven and took him back up. And interestingly, uh, Matthew 17, the transfiguration of Christ, it's Moses and Elijah who are right there um, with, with Christ. And they really um, symbolize, just to an incredible degree, the greatness of, of the prophetic in the Old Testament, which I should not get sidetracked on. All right. So, so the amazing thing, what does Enoch in particular teach us? So Abel has taught us to give the first and the best and to trust that God will look after us. In verse 6 of, uh, of Hebrews 11, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And you might not, you might not have a problem believing that God rewards, but there's a lot of people around the world who have a relationship with God, with Christ, who really have a hard time believing that he rewards and sometimes we feel guilty that God would reward us, you know, and sometimes we're not sure what the reward is. But this verse to me is one of the most amazing glimpses of what faith is like and what relationship with God is like. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You might think, oh man, I must not please God very much because I don't seem to have a whole lot of faith. But you see, the writer here is already established early in this, in this chapter. In, in, in verse 3, that we all have a measure of faith because we all believe that God created. You know, we already have that foundation. So on some level, you, you please God already. So we can kind of relax at this point. That's good. <clears throat> but in addition to that, you believe a couple of other things. You believe that God exists. Well, that's pretty straightforward because we've already believed that he created everything. So he exists. We kind of take that as a given. But also he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If we don't believe that God earnestly, or sorry, that God rewards those who earnestly seek him, then 
then our faith isn't really true faith. See, the thing about faith, what we're learning from this verse, is that we believe that there's a reward to faith, that faith actually has a reward. So that is, to me, sometimes hard enough to believe in itself. But the other thing is, what is the reward? What is the reward that God rewards faith with? Well, you know, it may be riches. It may be security. It may be all of your dreams are fulfilled. It may be that you live a very comfortable life. God may lead you into that. That may be what he has in store for you. But in the case of the Hebrews themselves, that wasn't their reward. Because they were suffering, they were persecuted, their friends were in prison, and their property was confiscated. They had no social standing, and the world was mocking them. So, although those things are good that God blesses us with, it's not the reward. It can't be the reward, because it doesn't make sense that that's the reward. So what is the reward? The reward is God himself. You know, the reward is God himself. And so... As, as we demonstrate faith and please God, in turn, we are eternally satisfied in him yes. because of who he is. And um, if you've ever read John Piper or you hear him speak, I mean, I don't agree with everything he says, but he really understands this. So if you ever get the chance to listen to his podcast on an area like this, I encourage you to do it because he really gets this. You know, he says, oh, what is it? We are, God is eternally pleased in us when we are most fully satisfied in him when we are most satisfied in him he calls it christian hedonism where we just delight in him so much you know and this guy is not a a renewal revival guy i mean he's a conservative baptist minister and pastor in um in minneapolis but you know we don't we don't have a lock on on christian hedonism you know in, in our church you know you cannot stop satisfaction in God you know I mean that's the point is that we're satisfied in him all right well that was that was different than first service the next person is Noah so we're a little bit more familiar with with Noah because of just the craziness of that story and and basically God says um, even though you don't really live near the sea I'd like you to build this huge boat that's bigger than any boat probably you've ever seen here are the dimensions. And as if building the boat wasn't enough, um, if you would be so kind as to invite all of the animals and living creatures to come and live on this boat with you for a while, that would be great. And, and it's going to rain, so you might want to bring an umbrella. And hopefully, hopefully if you do all that, then it'll work out. So it's just a, a kind of story that is... Unbelievable. And what Noah teaches us is to believe and to have faith in the new things and in the unknown. I mean, the situation Noah was in was so unlike anything else that had ever happened ever in history and will ever happen in history. We have that promise. It was so unlike anything that had happened before, but he still had faith to believe in in God and to obey what God said. And so this takes it to a new level because it's like, okay, not only am I to believe in giving my best and my first 
to God, um, to believe in, in kind of this whole idea of being satisfied in God and just the reward of God and God himself as a reward. But also, if that journey would take me into a place of complete unknown, even if it's like nobody has ever done this before, ever, yeah. then that's the place to go. So that's what Noah teaches us. That brings us to Abraham, who's like, you know, he's kind of like the king in the pack in this in this passage. And in Hebrews, the writer spends more time on Abraham than any other. And Abraham is the example of faith in the New Testament. You know, Paul uses Abraham constantly, especially in the book of Romans. He uses and builds Abraham's life and faith into his argument in Romans as to why we are justified by faith. And it's a really incredible, um, Abraham's story is incredible. Well, Paul sums up kind of the importance of Abraham in Galatians 3, 6 to 9. He says, consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. So we're all children of Abraham this morning. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. It's incredible that you know, Paul picks up on that, that the gospel was announced in advance to Abraham, yes. which is amazing. We often think like, you know, the, the, the passage, key passage for missions and for reaching the world is, is Matthew 28, is the Great Commission. But, um, you know, that's just really the capstone of it, right. because really it flows back through all of Scripture. Yeah. I mean, really, it flows back to the Garden of Eden. But this is in Genesis 12, which is where this is taken from. All nations will be blessed through you. That is really the first time that God had kind of declared his plan for the for the salvation of every single person. You know, God's intention that that no one should perish, that no one should perish outside of his grace. That is the first time that it was really declared was in Genesis chapter 12. And Abraham somehow understood that. I mean, I don't know how he was able to understand that, but somehow he got a hold of this idea of following God and a faith in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that phrase that it was credited to him as righteousness is key. It pops up all over the New Testament in Paul's writings because Paul wants us to really understand that it's through faith in Christ that we are saved, not through our works. And so it's just an amazing piece of um, just truth and theology that's worked into this passage. And so the writer goes through... And I'm just going to kind of summarize kind of what, what Abraham, you know, his story of faith. And it may be more familiar to you, but basically God calls Abraham, who probably didn't know God at all, calls him from his city where he lived and his family was. And he said, I want you to go and um, just told him to go to this totally unknown place. And he does. He goes with his family. So God calls Abraham and Abraham obeys. That's the first area of faith. Then God gives Abraham this multi-layered promise that involves a promised land that they will settle in, a, a family and that all nations would be blessed through him. And amazingly, even though it seems impossible, Abraham believes. And the center of all of that promise was, was Isaac, the child of promise. The center of all of those promises, the center of everything that Abraham put faith in, it was all in that child, in Isaac. Every single promise that God had ever given Abraham, the whole point of him leaving, the whole point of him following God was found in Isaac. I mean, Isaac was the child of promise. Isaac, everything was in him. And that is the exact thing that God tests Abraham in. And God says, okay, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And um, we have the, the writer in Hebrews talks about that in verse 17. By faith, 
Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. And so absolutely every, the center of every promise, all of his faith was bundled up in this child that God asks him to sacrifice. And, and Abraham does it. And sometimes people may say to you and, and kind of have this opinion of how can you be a Christian? Isn't that just blind faith? But, you know, the point of scriptures and the point of hearing testimonies is that it's really not blind faith. You're building up this inventory of, you know, what God has done in the past and what he can do. You know, Abraham, it says here um, that Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. So there was this element of reasoning that Abraham went through and he was able to figure out, you know, God's bigger than this situation. He's bigger than even if Isaac dies. He's already told me that Isaac is the, is the focus of everything. So, I mean, if Isaac dies, then he must come back because he's the, you know, he, he is what it's all about. And he reasoned that and he figured that out. But it still falls under faith, which is really interesting. So that's kind of the story very briefly of Abraham. Well, actually, next week we'll start with Abraham again um, because there's another point to the to the life of Abraham that's really huge that we're going to start out with next week and just to say that you know Abraham there are multiple lessons of faith with Abraham it's not like you know with with Abel and Enoch and Noah there's kind of this one piece but with Abraham it goes a lot deeper and there's lots more layers to to what Abraham brings but in short some of those are faith for the impossible you know, faith for things that seem totally impossible and faith for greater and greater things. And so those are kind of the lessons of Abraham. And we'll kind of start there, like I said, next week and kind of look at that a little bit more and what that looks like. But this whole passage and everything we've talked about this morning is looking at a particular situation, a group of people who were who are really in need of encouragement, really in need of persevering in their faith because the promises of God were growing dim. And wherever you find yourself this morning, the challenge is is to is to think about faith again as it has been this summer. You know, in closing, just to say that the, you know, with the Bible, when it talks about faith um, and especially persevering faith, it's not just saying. Okay, God, I think you can do that. You know, it's not this passive kind of like, okay, God, I think you can do that. You know, it's it's much much more than that. It's really saying, I can actively stake my life on what you say, God. I can actively stake my life. It's the kind of certainty that changes your lifestyle. It's, and that's what, that's what faith is in scripture, and that's what all of these examples are getting us to. It's the kind of certainty that affects your lifestyle. It's actively staking your life on, on what God has said. So the challenge this morning is what, you know, what is God calling you to stake your life upon? What are you believing in this morning? What promises has he given you that um, you need to reapprehend? What promises has he given you that you haven't seen yet in your life? And then are you at a place where you're able to even dream and even vision for the bigger promises of God and to press into those things as well? I mean, this whole passage is just is saying, persevere in your faith. Keep going. 
persevere, do the will of God, and receive the blessing from God that comes. Receive the reward that comes from being able to delight in God. Receive the reward. Receive Christ. Receive God himself and the relationship with him. And it's, it's drawing us into this deeper place. So next week we're going to look at the remainder of this chapter. There's some familiar names in there, but there's some that aren't. There's some surprising choices of who makes it into the Faith Hall of Fame. And we're going to kind of look a little bit and, um, and see why they might be in there. And we're going to um, close this up. I would encourage you, if you get the chance this week, to read Hebrews 10, 11, and 12. Just to kind of look at it for yourself and just to be encouraged yourself. It'll really set you up well for next week and um, as we finish out. And um, you'll be able to kind of get a fuller picture of what this whole idea of faith is about. All right. Turn it over to Sarah.